Everyone loves to listen to a good book, and there are so many wonderful ones to choose, so we decided to bring you this podcast of Stories Come to Life. Each episode features a story from either classic or modern literature, especially chosen to be interesting and exciting to hear. So sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Welcome to Stories Come to Life. I am your host, Catherine Lopez-Luker. Back in 1924, Gertrude Chandler Warner's book, The Boxcar Children, was published. Eighteen years later, in 1942, the book was condensed and revised to make it simpler for young readers. But I find the original version to have a lot more detail and charm. So, this is the version I'll be recording. Plus, because this earlier version is now in the public domain, it will stay available on Stories Come to Life forever, so you can listen to it often. The four boxcar children, Henry, Jess, Violet, and Benny, are orphans. What will happen if their grandfather, whom they have never met, finds out where they are? The children are afraid he will treat them cruelly. So instead of being sent to live with him, they run away and find an abandoned boxcar at the edge of a forest by a rushing stream. In these first chapters, they decide to make this chance discovery into a charming home. Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. The Boxcar Children by Gertrude Chandler Warner Chapter 1 The Flight About seven o'clock one hot summer evening, a strange family moved into the little village of Middlesex. Nobody knew where they came from, or who they were. But the neighbors soon made up their minds what they thought of the strangers. For the father was very drunk. He could hardly walk up the rickety front steps of the old tumble-down house, and his thirteen-year-old son had to help him. Toward eight o'clock, a pretty, capable-looking girl of twelve came out of the house and bought a loaf of bread at the baker's, and that was all the villagers learned about the newcomers that night. "'There are four children,' said the bake-shop woman to her husband the next day and their mother is dead. They must have some money for the girl paid for the bread with a dollar bill. Make them pay for everything they get, growled the baker, who was a hard man. The father is nearly dead with drink now, and soon they will be only beggars. This happened sooner than he thought. The next day, the oldest boy and girl came to ask the bake shop woman to come over. Their father was dead. She went over willingly enough, for someone had to go, but it was clear that she did not expect to be bothered with four strange children, with the bakery on her hands and two children of her own. Haven't you any other folks? she asked the children. We have a grandfather in Greenfield, spoke up the youngest child before his sister could clap her hand over his mouth. Hush, Benny, she said anxiously. This made the bake-shop woman suspicious. "'What's the matter with your grandfather?' she asked. "'He doesn't like us,' replied the oldest boy reluctantly. 
He didn't want my father to marry my mother, and if he found us, he would treat us cruelly. Did you ever see him? Jess has. Once she saw him. Well, did he treat you cruelly? asked the woman, turning upon Jess. Oh, he didn't see me, replied Jess. He was just passing through our, where we used to live, and my father pointed him out to me. Where did you used to live? went on the questioner, but none of the children could be made to tell. We will get along all right alone, won't we, Henry? declared Jess. Indeed we will, said Henry. I will stay in the house with you tonight, said the woman at last, and tomorrow we will see what can be done. The four children went to bed in the kitchen and gave the visitor the only other bed in the house. They knew that she did not at once go to bed, but sat by the window in the dark. Suddenly they heard her talking to her husband through the open window. They must go to their grandfather, that's certain, Jess heard her say. Of course, agreed her husband. Tomorrow we will make them tell us what his name is. Soon after that, Jess and Henry heard her snoring heavily. They sat up in the dark. Mustn't we surely run away, whispered Jess in Henry's ear. Yes, whispered Henry. Take only what we need most. We must be far off before morning or they will catch us. Jess sat still for a moment, thinking, for every motion she made must count. I will take both loaves of bread, she thought, and Violet's little work bag. Henry has his knife, and all father's money is in my pocket. She drew it out and counted it in the dark, squinting her eyes in the faint light of the moon. It amounted to nearly four dollars. "'You'll have to carry Benny until he gets waked up,' whispered Jess. "'If we wake him up here, he might cry.' She touched Violet as she spoke. "'Shh, Violet, come. We're going to run away,' she whispered. The little girl made no sound. She sat up obediently and tried to make out the dim shadow of her sister. "'What shall I do?' she said, light as a breath. "'Carry this,' said Jess." handing her the work bag and a box of matches. Jess tiptoed over to the tin box on the table, drew out the two loaves of bread, and slipped them into the laundry bag. She peered around the room for the last time, then dropped two small clean towels and a cake of soap into the bag. All right, pick him up, she said to Henry. Henry bent over the sleeping child, and lifted him carefully. Jess took the laundry bag, turned the doorknob ever so softly, opened the door ever so slowly, and they tiptoed out in a ghostly procession. Jess shut the door with as much care as she had opened it, listened to the bake shop woman's heavy snoring for a moment, and then they turned and picked their way without a sound to the country road. She may wake up before morning, you know, whispered Henry. We must do our fastest walking before then. If we can only get to another town before they find out we're gone, they won't know which way to go. Jess agreed, and they all walked briskly along in the faint moonlight. How far can you carry Benny? asked Violet. Oh, at least a mile, said Henry confidently. 
although his arms were beginning to ache. Benny was five years old, and he was a fat, healthy boy as well. I think we could all walk faster if we woke him up, said Jess decidedly. We could each take his hand and almost carry him along. Henry knelt by the roadside and set the little fellow against his knee. Come, Benny, you must wake up now and walk, said Jess coaxingly. Go away, Benny mumbled with his eyes shut, trying to lie down again. Let me try, Violet offered softly. Say, Benny, you know the little cinnamon bear ran away to find a nice warm bed for the winter? Now, you play your cinnamon, and Henry and Jess will help you along, and we'll find a bed. Violet's little plan worked. Benny was never too cross to listen to the wonderful stories his sister Violet could tell about Cinnamon Bear. He stood up bravely and marched along, yawning, while his big brother and sister almost swung him between them. Not a soul passed them on the country road. All the houses they saw were dark and still, and when the first faint streaks of morning light showed in the sky, all four children were almost staggering with sleep. I must go to sleep, Henry, murmured Jess at last. Little Benny was asleep already, and Henry was carrying him again. The first place we come to then, panted Henry. Violet said nothing, but she kept her eyes open. Finally, she caught Henry's sleeve. Couldn't we make that haystack do, she asked, pointing across a newly mown field. Indeed we could, said Henry thankfully. What a big, enormous one it is. I was too sleepy to see it, I guess. And see how far away from the farmhouse and barn it is, too, echoed Jess. The sight gave them new courage. They climbed over two stone walls got across a brook somehow with the heavy child, and arrived at the haystack. Henry laid his brother down and stretched his aching arms, while Jess began to burrow into the haystack. Violet, after a moment of watching her, did the same. Here's his nest, said Jess sleepily, taking her head out of the deep round hole she had made. Henry lifted the child into the opening and was pleased to see that he curled up instantly, smiling in his sleep. Jess pulled wisps of hay over the opening, so that it was absolutely invisible, and then proceeded to dig out a similar burrow for herself. "'We can stay here just as long as we like, can't we, Henry?' she murmured, digging with her eyes shut. "'We sure can,' replied Henry. "'You're an old brick, Jess.' Get in, and I'll pull the hay over the hole. Violet was already curled up in her nest, which was hidden so completely that Henry spoke to her to see if she were there. Then he wriggled himself backward into the haycock without stopping to hollow it out, pulled a handful of hay over his head, and laid his head on his arm. Just as he did so, he heard a heavy voice say, now then, lass, get along. Then he heard the rumble of a milk wagon coming down a nearby lane, and he realized thankfully that they had hidden themselves just before the first farmer in the neighborhood 
had set off toward Middlesex with his milk cans. He will say he didn't meet us coming this way, thought Henry. So they will hunt for us the other way, and that will give us time to cover a lot more ground. He dropped to sleep, just as the roosters all over the valley began to answer each other. Chapter 2 The Second Night The roosters crowed and the hens clucked. The farmer's wife began to get breakfast, and the four children slept on. Dinner time came and went, and still they slept, for it must be remembered that they had been awake and walking during the whole night. In fact, it was nearly seven o'clock in the evening when they awoke. Luckily, all the others awoke before Benny. Can you hear me, Jess? said Henry, speaking very low through the wall of hay. Yes, answered Jess softly. Let's make one big room of our nests. No sooner said than done. The boy and girl worked quickly and quietly until they could see each other. They pressed the hay back firmly until they had made their way into Violet's little room, and then she in turn groped until she found Benny. Hello, little cinnamon, whispered Violet playfully, and Benny at once made up his mind to laugh instead of cry. But laughing out loud was almost as bad, so Henry took his little brother on the hay beside him and talked to him seriously. You're old enough now, Benny, to understand what I say to you. Now listen. When I tell you to keep still after this, that means you're to stop crying if you're crying, or stop laughing if you're laughing, and be just as still as you possibly can. If you don't mind, you will be in danger, do you understand? Don't I have to mind Jess and Violet, too? asked Benny. Absolutely, said Henry. You have to mind us all, every one of us. Benny thought for a minute. Can't I ask for what I want any more? he said. Indeed you can, cried Jess and Henry together. What is it you want? I'm awfully hungry, said Benny anxiously. Henry's brow cleared. Good old Benny, he said. We're just going to have supper, or is it breakfast? Jess drew out the fragrant loaf of bread. She cut it with Henry's jackknife into four quarters and she and Henry took the two crusty ends themselves. That's because we have to be the strongest, and crusts make you strong, explained Jess. Violet looked at her older sister. She thought she knew why Jess took the crust, but she did not speak. We will stay here till dark, and then we'll go on with our journey, said Henry cheerfully. I want a drink, announced Benny. A drink you shall have, Henry promised but you'll have to wait till it's really dark. If we should creep out to the brook now, and anyone saw us... He did not finish his sentence, but Benny realized that he must wait. He was much refreshed from his long sleep, and felt very lively. Violet had all she could do to keep him amused, even with Cinnamon Bear and his five brothers. At last, Henry peeped out. It was after nine o'clock. There were lights in the farmhouse still, but they were all upstairs. We can at least get a drink now, he said, and the children crept quietly to the noisy little brook, not far from the haystack.
said Benny. No, you'll have to lie down and drink with your mouth, Jess explained. And so they did. Never did water taste so cool and delicious as it did that night to the thirsty children. When they had finished drinking, they jumped the brook, ran quickly over the fields to the wall, and once more found themselves on the road. If we meet anyone, said Jess, we must all crouch behind bushes until he has gone by. They walked along in the darkness with light hearts. They were no longer tired or hungry. Their one thought was to get away from their grandfather if possible. If we can find a big town, said Violet, won't it be better to stay in than a little town? Why? asked Henry, puffing up the hill. Well, you see, there are so many people in a big town, nobody will notice us. And in a little village, everyone would be talking about us, finished Henry admiringly. You've got brains, Violet. He had hardly said this when a wagon was heard behind them in the distance. It was coming from Middlesex. Without a word, the four children sat down behind the bushes like frightened rabbits. They could plainly hear their hearts beat. The horse trotted nearer and then began to walk up the hill. If we hear nothing in Townsend, they heard a man say, we have plainly done our duty. It was the baker's voice. More than our duty, said the baker's wife, tiring out a horse with going a full day from morning until night. There was silence as the horse pulled the creaky wagon. At least we will go on to Townsend tonight, continued the baker, and tell them to watch out. We need not go to Intervale, for they never could walk so far. We are well rid of them, I should say, replied his wife. They may not have come this way. The milkman didn't see him, did he? The baker's reply was lost, for the horse had reached the hilltop where he broke into a canter. It was some minutes before the children dared to creep out of the bushes again. One thing is sure, said Henry, when he got his breath, we will not go to Townsend. And we will go to Intervale, said Jess. With a definite goal in mind at last, the children set out again with a better spirit. They walked until two o'clock in the morning, stopping often this time to rest and to drink from the horse's watering troughs. And then they came upon a fork in the road, with a white signpost shining in the moonlight. Townsend, four miles. Intervale, six miles, read Henry aloud. Anyone feel able to walk six more miles? He grinned. No one had the least idea how far they had already walked. We'll go that way at least, said Jess finally. That we will, agreed Henry, picking up his brother for a change and carrying him piggyback. Violet went ahead. The new road was a pleasant woody one, with grass growing in the middle. The children could not see the grass, but they could feel it as they walked. Not many people pass this way, I guess, remarked Violet. Just then she caught her toe in something and almost fell, but Jess caught her. The two girls stooped down to examine the obstruction. Hey, said Jess. Hey, repeated Violet. Hey, cried Henry, coming up. What did you say? 
It must have fallen off someone's load, said Jess. We'll take it with us, Henry decided wisely. Load on all you can carry, Jess. For Benny, thought Violet to herself. So the odd little party trudged on for nearly three hours, laden with hay, until they found that the road ended in a cart path through the woods. Oh, dear, exclaimed Jess, almost ready to cry with disappointment. What's the matter? demanded Henry in astonishment. Isn't the woods a good place to sleep? We can't sleep in the road, you know. It does seem nice and far away from people, admitted Jess, and it's almost morning. As they stood still at the entrance to the woods, they heard the rumble of a train. It roared down the valley at a great rate and passed them on the other side of the woods, thundering along toward the city. Never mind the train, either, remarked Henry. It isn't so awfully near, and even if it were, it couldn't see us. He set his brother down and peered into the woods. It was very warm. Listen, said Benny. Listen, echoed Violet. More water, Benny cried, catching his big brother by the hand. It's only another brook, said Henry with a thankful heart. He wants a drink. The trickle of water sounded very pleasant to all the children as they lay down once more to drink. Benny was too sleepy to eat. Jess quickly found a dry spot, thick with moss between two stones. Upon this moss, the three older children spread the hay in the shape of an oval bed. Benny tumbled into it with a great sigh of satisfaction, while his sisters tucked the hay around him. Pine needles up here, Jess, called Henry from the slope. Each of them quickly scraped together a fragrant pile for a pillow, and once more lay down to sleep, with hardly a thought of fear. I only hope we won't have a thunderstorm, said Jess to herself, as she shut her tired eyes. And she did not open them for a long time, although the dark gray clouds piled higher and more thickly over the sleeping children. Chapter 3. Shelter When Jess opened her eyes, it must have been about ten o'clock in the morning. She sat up and looked all around her. She could see dimly in the opening where they had come into the woods. She looked around to see that her family were still safely by her. Then she looked up at the sky. At first, she thought it must still be night. And then she realized that the darkness was caused by an approaching storm. Whatever, whatever shall we do now? demanded Jess of the air. She got up and looked in every direction for a shelter. She even walked quite a little way into the woods and down a hill, and there she stood, not knowing what to do next. I shall have to wake Henry up, she said at last, only how I hate to. As she spoke, she glanced into the forest, and her feet felt as if they were nailed to the ground. She could not stir. Faintly outlined among the trees, Jess saw an old freight or boxcar. Her first thought was one of fear. Her second, hope for shelter. As she thought of shelter, her feet moved, and she stumbled toward it. 
It really was a freight car, she felt of it. It stood on rusty, broken rails, which were nearly covered with dead leaves. Then the thunder cracked overhead. Jess came to her usual senses and started back for Henry, flying like the wind. He was awake, looking anxiously overhead. He had not noticed that Jess was missing. Come, panted Jess. I found a place. Hurry, hurry. Henry did not stop to ask questions. He picked up Benny, telling Violet to gather up the hay. And then they ran headlong through the thick underbrush in Jess's wake, seeing their way only too well by the sharp flashes of lightning. It's beginning to sprinkle, gasped Henry. We'll get there all right, Jess shouted back. It's not far. Be all ready to help me open the door when we get there. By sheer good fortune, a big tree stump stood under the door of the freight car, or the children never could have opened it. As it was, Jess sprang on the stump, and Henry, pausing to lay Benny down, did likewise. Together, they rolled back the heavy door about a foot. That's enough, panted Jess. I'll get in, and you hand Benny up to me. No, said Henry quietly. I must first see if anyone is in there. It will rain, protested Jess. Nothing will hurt me. But she knew it was useless to argue with Henry, so she hastily groped in the bag for the matches and handed them to her brother. It must be confessed that Jess held her breath while Henry struck one and peered about inside the car. All's well, he reported. Come in, everybody. Violet passed the hay up to her brother and crawled in herself. Then Jess handed Benny up like a package of groceries, and taking one last look at the angry sky and waving trees, she climbed in after him. The two children managed to roll the door back so that the crack was completely closed before the storm broke, but at that very instant it broke with a vengeance. It seemed to the children that the sky would split, so sharp were the cracks of thunder but not a drop of rain reached them in their roomy retreat. They could see nothing at all, for the freight car was tightly made, and all outside was nearly as black as night. Through it all, Benny slept on. Presently, the thunder grew fainter and rumbled away down the valley, and the rain spent itself. Only the drip from the trees on the top of the car could be heard. Then Henry ventured to open the door. He knelt on his hands and knees and thrust his head out. The warm sunlight was filtering through the trees, making golden pools of light here and there. The beautiful trees, pines and white birches and oaks, grew thickly around, and the ground was carpeted with flowers and wonderful ferns more than a yard high. But most miraculous of all was a miniature waterfall small but perfect, where the same little brown brook fell gracefully over some ledges and danced away down the glen. In an instant, Jess and Violet were looking over Henry's shoulder at the pretty sight. How different everything looks with the sun shining, exclaimed Jess. Things will soon be dry at this rate. It must be about noon, observed Henry, looking at the sun. And as he spoke, 
the faint echo of mill bells in the distance was heard. Henry, said Jess sharply, let's live here. Live here? repeated Henry dully. Yes, why not? replied Jess. Nobody uses this car, and it's dry and warm. We're quite far away, and yet we are near enough to a town so we can buy things. And we're near water, added Violet. Jess hugged her sister. So we are, little mouse, she said, the most important thing of all. But, began Henry. Please, Henry, said Jess excitedly. I could make this old freight car into the dearest little house, with beds and chairs and a table and dishes. I'd like to live here, too, said a determined little voice from the corner, but I don't want to unless— Unless what? asked Henry, panic-stricken. Unless I can have my dinner, Benny finished anxiously. We'll have something to eat right away, old fellow, said Henry. Thankful it was no worse for he himself was beginning to see what a cozy home the car really would make. Jess cut the last loaf of bread into four pieces, but, alas, it was very dry. The children were so hungry that they tore it with their teeth like little dogs. But Benny was nearly crying. He did not actually cry, however, for just at the crucial moment, Violet started a funny story about Cinnamon Bear eating bread crusts out of the ash can. He ought to have milk, said Jess quietly to Henry. He shall have milk, replied Henry. I'll go down the railroad track to the town and get some. Jess counted out a dollar in ten dimes and handed it to Henry. By the time our four dollars are gone, you will have some work to do, she said. All the same, Henry did not like to begin his trip. How I hate to leave you alone, Jess, he said miserably. Oh, don't you worry, began Jess lightly. We'll have a surprise for you when we come back. You just wait and see. And she nodded her head wisely as Henry walked slowly off through the woods. The moment he was out of sight, she turned to Benny and Violet. Now, children, she said, what do you think we're going to do? Do you know what I saw over in the sunny part of the woods? I saw some blueberries. Oh, oh, cried Benny, who knew what blueberries were. Can't we have some blueberries and milk? We certainly, began Jess, but the sentence was never finished, for a sharp crackle of dry leaves was heard. Something was moving in the woods. Chapter 4. A New Home Keep still, whispered Jess. Benny obeyed. The three children were as motionless as stone images, huddled inside the freight car. Jess opened her mouth in order to breathe it all. Her heart was thumping so wildly. She watched like a cat through the open door in the direction of the rustling noise, and in a moment... The trembling bushes parted, and out crawled a dog. He was an Airedale, and was pulling himself along on three legs, whimpering softly. Jess drew a long breath of relief and said to the children, It's all right, only a dog, but he seems to be hurt. At the sound of her voice, the dog lifted his eyes and wagged his tail feebly. 
he held up his front foot. Poor doggy, murmured Jess soothingly as she clambered out of the car. Let Jess see your poor lame foot. She approached the dog carefully, for she remembered that her mother had always told her never to touch a strange dog unless he wagged his tail. But this dog's tail was wagging, certainly. So Jess bent over without fear to look at the paw. An exclamation of pity escaped her when she saw it, for a stiff, sharp thorn had been driven completely through one of the cushions of the dog's foot, and around it the blood had dried. I guess I can fix that, said Jess briskly, but taking the thorn out is going to hurt you, old fellow. The dog looked up at her as she laid his paw down and licked her hand. Come here, Violet and Benny, directed Jess. She took the animal gently in her lap and turned him on his side. She patted his head and stroked his nose with one finger and offered him the rest of her bread crust, which she had put in her apron pocket. The dog snapped it up as if he were nearly starved. Then she held the soft paw firmly with her left hand and pulled steadily on the thorn with her right hand. The dog did not utter a sound. He lay motionless in her lap until the thorn suddenly let go and lay in Jess's hand. Good, good, cried Violet. Wet my handkerchief, Jess ordered briskly. Violet did so, dipping it in the running brook. Jess wrapped the cool, wet folds around the hot paw and gently squeezed it against the wound. The dog, meanwhile, trying to lick her hands. We'll surprise Henry, won't we? laughed Benny delightedly. Now we got a dog. To be sure, said Jess, struck with a thought. But that isn't what I intended for a surprise. You know I was intending to get a lot of blueberries, and maybe find some old dishes in a dump or something. Can't we look while you hold the dog? asked Violet anxiously. Of course you can, pet, said Jess. Look over there by those rocks. Benny and Violet scrambled through the underbrush to the place Jess pointed out, and investigated. But they did not hunt long, for the blueberries were so thick that the bushes almost bent over with their weight. Oh, Jessie, screamed Benny, you never saw so many in your life. What'll we pick em into? Come and get a clean towel, said Jess who noticed that Benny was already picking into his own mouth. But that's just as well, she thought, because he won't get so hungry waiting for the milk. She watched the two children a moment as they dropped handfuls of the bluish globes on the towel. Then she carefully got up with her little patient and went over and sat down in the center of the patch. The berries were so thick, she did not have to change her position before the towel held over a quart. Oh, dear, sighed Jess. I wish I could hunt for some dishes so we could have blueberries and milk. Never mind tonight, said Violet. We can just eat a handful of berries and then take a drink of milk when Henry comes. But it was even better than that, for when Henry came, he had two bottles of milk under one arm, a huge loaf of brown bread under the other, and some golden cheese in waxed paper in his pocket. But you should have seen Henry stare when he saw what Jess was holding. Where in the world? began the boy. He came to us, volunteered Benny, 
He came for a surprise for you, and he's a nice doggy. Henry knelt down to look at the visitor, who wagged his tail. It wouldn't be a bad thing to have a watchdog, said Henry. I worried about you all the time I was gone. Did you bring some milk? inquired Benny, trying to be polite, but looking at the bottles with longing eyes. Bless his heart, said Jess, struggling to her feet with the dog. We'll have dinner right away, or is it supper? Call it supper, suggested Henry, for it's the last thing we'll have to eat today. And then, tomorrow we'll start having three meals every day, laughed Jess. It was certainly a queer meal, whatever it was. Jess, who liked above all things to be orderly, spread out the big gray laundry bag on the pine needles for a tablecloth. The brown loaf was cut by a very excited little hostess into five thick squares, the cheese into four. Dogs don't eat cheese, Benny remarked cheerfully. The poor little fellow was glad of it, too, for he was very hungry. He could hardly wait for Jess to set the milk bottles in the center of the table and heap the blueberries in four little mounds, one at each place. I'm sorry we haven't cups, Jess remarked. We'll just have to drink out of the same bottle. No, we won't, said Henry. We'll drink half of each bottle, so that will make at least two things to drink out of. Good for you, Henry, said Jess, much relieved. You and Benny use one, and Violet and I will use the other. So the meal began. Look, Benny, directed Henry. Eat a handful of blueberries, then take a bite of brown bread, then a nibble of cheese, now a drink of milk. It's good, it's good, mumbled Benny to himself all through the meal. You must not imagine that the poor wandering dog was neglected, for Jess fed him gently as he lay in her lap, poking morsels of bread into his mouth and pouring milk into her own hand for him to lap up. When the meal was over and exactly half of each bottle of milk remained, Jess said, We are going to sleep on beds tonight. And just as soon as we get our beds made, we are all going to be washed. That'll be fun, Benny, added Violet. We'll wash our paws in the brook, just the way Cinnamon does. First, let's gather armfuls of dry pine needles, ordered Jess. Get those on top that have been lying in the sunshine. Jess laid the dog down on a pile of moss as she spoke, and started energetically to scoop up piles of the fragrant needles. Soon a pile as high as her head stood just under the freight car door. I think we have enough, she said at last. Taking the scissors from Violet's work bag, she cut the laundry bag carefully into two big pieces, saving the cord for a clothesline. One of the big squares was laid across Benny's hay and tucked under. That was the softest bed of all. Violet's apron and her own she cut off at the belt. I'll sleep next to Benny, said Henry, with my head up by the door. Then I can hear what's going on. A big pile of pine needles was loaded into the freight car for Henry's bed and covered with the other half of the laundry bag. The remainder of the needles Jess piled into the farthest corner of the car for herself and Violet. We'll all sleep on one side, so we can call it the bedroom. What'll be the other side? inquired Benny. The other side, repeated Jess, let me think. I guess that'll be the sitting room, and perhaps some of the time the kitchen. On rainy days, 
Maybe the dining room, added Henry with a wink. Couldn't it be the parlor? begged Benny. Certainly the parlor, we forgot that, agreed Jess, returning the wink. She was covering the last two soft beds with the two aprons. The tops of these aprons are washcloths, she said severely. Then, armed with the big cake of soap, she led the way to the brook. The dog watched them anxiously. But when Jess said, lie still, he obeyed. From the moment Jess drew the thorn from his foot, he was her dog, to obey her slightest command and to follow her wherever she went. The clean, cool brook was delightful even to Benny. The children rolled up their sleeves and plunged their dusty arms into its waters, quarreling good-naturedly over the soap and lathering their stained faces and necks with it. When they were well rinsed with clear water, they dried themselves with the towel. Then Jess washed both towels nicely with soap, rinsed them, and hung them on the clothesline of tape, which she had stretched between two slender birches. They flapped lazily in the wind. Looks like home already, Jess, said Henry, smiling at the washing. The tired children clambered into the bedroom, Jess coming last with the wounded dog. We'll have to leave the door open. It's so hot, said Henry, lying down with a tired sigh. And in less than ten minutes, they were fast asleep, dog and all, asleep at six o'clock, asleep without naming the dog, without locking the door, without fear. For this was the first night in four that they had been able to go to sleep at night, as children should. This is your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we continue to listen to the Boxcar Children. You can find a link to our podcast on the Marshall Public Library webpage, www.marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.